you have pain concerns, just general health concerns, bring them on. Dr. Lou's here to talk to you over the next hour, and we'll get to a bunch of different stuff. Uh, info at paincarecanada.com through email, and a reminder to call the clinic at that free consultation happening, one eight five 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 doctor Lou D-R-L-O-U is the number would love to hear from you today we always start out with some uh, some week that was some cases some uh, some clinician uh, sure. stuff that's come through the clinic what's yep. uh, what's going on pal yeah uh w- there was actually an interesting case this week uh that i had it's quite rare I'm, i'll mm-hmm. go through the full case I, I you know but it is something that is very rare but i i did think it would be a good idea to share this um this patient had had uh um a disc herniation in her neck I believe it was about four or five years ago. And she eventually had to end up having surgery for this disc herniation in her neck just to help with the symptoms. Years later, uh, this this um, in the winter, during this winter and in the spring, uh, she starts developing intense pain in her left arm. Uh, one day she actually is sitting there and all of a sudden her left arm just completely swells, just an, an intense pain, and then goes away. Uh, still getting intense pain on that side. Uh, I believe a month later, same thing happens to her left foot, really? where it just all of a sudden swells out of nowhere, and uh, and she has intense pain. And so she comes to see me because she doesn't know what's going on and and is trying to look for you know at least a direction of what could this be. And so there's a couple things that it could be. Uh, one of the things she's also a smoker, so uh, anytime you have a smoker that gets weird symptoms like that. Uh, there's something called the peroneoplastic syndrome that can happen with certain types of lung cancers uh, that can lead to all different types of weird symptoms. So in someone who's a smoker, always something you have to consider anytime you, you hear weird symptoms. Uh, we listened to her lungs. It sounded fine, which was good. Um, the other thing you want to consider now is neurological. There's something called uh, complex regional pain syndrome. Mm-hmm. It's kind of, and I've talked about, uh, I've used the term before, wastebasket diagnosis, kind of when you've ruled everything else out uh, that has good objective markers and uh, there's nothing else, then you can use some of these wastebasket terms. Complex regional pain syndrome is kind of like that. What complex regional pain syndrome is, um, is that there's, Usually it's in response to some type of trauma to the nervous system, specifically the spinal cord or the brain. And in this case, like this patient, it had surgery. And I tried to explain to her, and this was the kind of the point that I really wanted to get across for people uh, listening today that I think is the, the more important thing to highlight is that surgery at the end of the day is controlled trauma. Right at the end of the day, your body doesn't know the difference uh, between trauma uh, that's you know by accident or trauma that's induced by a mm. surgeon. Because uh, even when you look at things like frozen shoulder, very common after trauma, but a lot of people have surgery for something else in their shoulder and then develop frozen shoulder. And again, when you look at it, a predisposing factor is the trauma component. And it is important to note that anyone going for surgery. Surgery is trauma. It's it's well, it's uh, invasive. You're getting it's invasive. It's in it is in a controlled environment. It's by professionals, yep. but at the end of the day, it is trauma to your body. You that bet. that that's something that I really really want to get across. And and I'm not suggesting that you don't do surgery. I'm just suggesting that you're aware of this because trauma does predisposed to certain types of other pathologies okay. down the road, such as what we're talking about here with the complex regional pain syndrome. Now in this. Um, in this particular patient's case, can we absolutely say that her spine surgery led to this? No. But again, with all of these wastebasket type of terms, uh, we're not 
you know, looking for a definitive answer. We're just looking at what are the common things that can lead to this. Uh, and so with complex regional pain syndrome, very, very common to have exactly what she's experiencing, which is unexplained extreme pain uh, with periods of extreme swelling that just go away. And, wow. and and she showed me the pictures. This wasn't just, and that was really important. I thought that was a really good thing that she did. A lot of people will see something um, and then go to a healthcare practitioner and they'll just mention. Try to oh, describe it. Yes, this yeah. looked swollen. You know, with today's world, taking pictures is not a bad idea because uh, there's a lot of people that I ask and I, you know, with a knee complaint, do you, has it been swollen? Yeah, it's been swollen. And then you look at it and it's not swollen at all. So, you know, what someone may think is swollen may not actually be swollen. But this this lady, this patient was actually very, very smart, took pictures of what was going on. And it was great because I was able to look at it and say, yeah, this is pretty consistent hmm. uh, with what's going on. So now... Again, in this in this type of case, too early to say what the outcome is going to be. But what what based on all the signs and symptoms that she was presenting with, it did seem pretty textbook for complex regional pain syndrome. But again, it being that weight wastebasket kind of uh, diagnosis, we have to rule out everything else before we can just jump to that. And if it is, what's the what's the treatment? And that's a great question. And there's no. Um, the issue with complex regional pain syndrome is it's it's all related to the sympathetic nervous system just being extremely overactive. So there's a lot of things, you know, there's things like modifying the diet, um, medications, therapy, neuromodulation, uh, psychological intervention. It, it kind of... It's a multi-pronged thing. Yeah, it's, it's the same type of idea as chronic pain. How do you treat chronic pain? There's no one... Uh, answer. It's multifactorial, multifaceted. You got to attack it from every angle. And again, it's one of those things that you're not going to quote unquote cure, but you are going to have to learn how to manage uh, so that day to day you can live with this issue. We'll, uh, we'll take a quick break. Your phone calls, phone lines are open. You're feeling pain. You have questions. Bring them on for the next hour. Dr. Lou is here to answer them. 416-870-6400 star 640. On your cell, just getting started and revved up. The Dr. Payne Show Talk Radio, AM 640. Tom in Whitby, good afternoon. Good afternoon, guys. What's going on, Tom? I have a uh, bulge disc at C5, C6 in the neck. Okay. And I have um, just I have some sensory radiculopathy in my right arm right. as a result, uh, but no, no muscle weakness, uh, occasional cramp, but that's about it. Okay. Nothing to justify, apparently. I, I still to see the neurologist at Western uh, for a follow-up after a CT scan, but um, no justification for an operation, given it's just sensory. And, but it's progressing into a bit of an uncomfortable, you know, five to six on the pain scale in the neck area. Right. It's like a constant headache sort of referring to the top of my head, just it's always there kind of thing. Um, he, I'm on Celebrex. And and um, he put me on. My family doctor put me on Lyrica, okay, which I came off with just some pretty bad side effects, including you know gaining thirty pounds in two weeks and jeez, really, <laughs> and, wow, and itchy extremities. I just yeah, I could not get enough food. Like it just stops your, you know, the the sensory um, the sense of getting full. So you okay. just eat, eat too much. So anyway, um, is there any? Are there any? Um, appropriate or other drugs that you can think of that because i'm gonna have to live with this well so tom how old are you i'm 50 50 and have you done any therapy for your neck um he rec the neurologist recommended uh, against physiotherapy for it why is that and chiropractic 
Okay, why did he say? He just said it, it, he called it a room full of out, um, useless modalities. Like it wouldn't help. And actually, I did do physical therapy for a while. Yeah. And it, it didn't help. You know, the stretches, the medial stretch, and, you know, the various stretches for that area. And mm-hmm. um, try, I tried traction, and all it does is inflame it. Right. Yeah, I mean, again, it's it's very hard for me to, you know, comment very specifically over the radio, but I, I would be very, very surprised that if it's a case that therapy couldn't help at all. Do I agree that sometimes certain places are not the best place to be doing therapy? Yeah, sure. Uh, but I think uh, in any instance like this with a disc herniation, if it's treated right uh, from a physical perspective, uh, is it going to help 100%? Maybe not, but it will be, be part of the overall picture of getting better. Uh, I, You know, most disc herniations are not things you have to live with forever. You may have to manage the symptoms as you go on, but they do have a natural history that they should get significantly better, you know, even if you did nothing within 18 months. Um, and again, that's, you know, me assuming a lot of things here because I'd have to see an MRI to, to kind of look at exactly where it is. But there's, um, you know, McKenzie protocol for, for the neck herniations, disc herniations that can really be beneficial. Uh, the medication, all it's really going to do is is block your perception of the pain. It's not mm. going to solve any issue. Uh, yes, please. Sorry? <laughs> yes, please. Yeah, and, and that's exactly, and yeah. assuming that that even works, right? Because, right. Uh, you know, you have to get the right source of the pain. So, you know, I don't think, based on what I'm hearing, that that's necessarily the best approach that you're on. I think if you're going somewhere that's the right place, um, the right treatment, the right type of physical uh, treatment is going to be very, very beneficial uh, towards getting better. How long has this been going on? We're approaching 12 months now. 12 months. Okay. And how did it originally start? There was no um, no immediately obvious cause. Like, I didn't fall. There was no car accident. There was nothing. And, um, I had previous, like, many, like, decades ago, a car accident um, when I was younger. Mm-hmm. But it was fairly minor, and then I I was ditched on the beach headfirst by you know one of those body surfing, okay. which uh, was caused a lot of pain in my neck at the time when I was a teenager. But I mean, not asymptomatic since then until fifty. I think the warranty just ran out. Kind of right? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, how many times have you seen that neurologist? Like, did you see him early on in this, or have you seen him him or her more recently? Uh, I was referred to him. There was quite a long waiting period. Uh, I did get an MRI done. He reviewed it, and he said it's the worst MRI he's seen in 20 years. Wow. It was a sort of a third party. It wasn't done at a hospital. Okay, yeah. The third party company said, uh, and I said, it looks modern. The equipment looks modern. I don't understand. He says, well, they're not spinning the dials right because it's blurry. It's crappy MRI. So he's called for a CT scan to see, and even the diagnosis missed it some signal change on C5, the actual vertebrae. It looks, okay. looks a little white. Okay. So he says, I want to see what that's about. And, mm. you know, so we're going forward. and But it's just slow and painful. Oh. Well, yeah. I, I mean, I, in all honesty, I would recommend a second opinion, right? Because I don't necessarily think that that sounds like the best approach that you uh, maybe on, I think there's always other options that can be done. And I've always said anytime it's a physical problem, having a physical intervention 
if done right, and that's that's a very important thing. And sometimes I do know certain uh, specialists and surgeons because they don't know exactly who they should or should not trust. Mm-hmm. And these things will just kind of give the recommendation that you've given, uh, you've been given. Uh, but I think it's a bit of a disservice because I think there's some very very good ways to physically treat that type of a problem, no matter how bad it is. Uh, that can at the very least help. Right? Is it going to be a hundred percent? No, but even if it can help you, and I think you're looking for just things to overall be getting better slowly versus getting worse slowly, because right. uh, that's my impression from our conversation is that it yeah. seems to be getting worse. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Um, well, or, g- you know, Tom, if you want to have a discussion, you want a second opinion, I'm happy to give you that. If you if you have all those time. relevant, uh, you know, imaging studies, I'd love to review them and, and kind of see, uh, and again, correlating them with the clinical presentation, which is very, very important. You can't just stop at imaging. You have to make sure that the imaging matches up with what you're seeing right. in the office. Tom, to follow up, one 855 drlu one 855 Dr. Lou, and info at paincarecanada.com. A room full of useless modalities. <laughs> Bad advice, good band name, Some places are, but, you know, I I don't think... Yeah, that's funny. It's a decent band name. (laughs) Thanks, Doctor. We'll get to more of your phone calls. uh, 416-870-6400, star 640 on sale. Dr. Payne Show continues. Talk Radio AM 640. Phone lines are wide open. Give us a call. You have pain concerns. You're feeling something. You have no satisfaction with your current medical team. Give Dr. Lou a call here at the station and uh, maybe get some answers between now and 1 o'clock. Leo, how are you, Leo? Hi, how are you? Good, sir. What's happening with you? I had a, a very bad car accident four years ago. Um, I have all my discs, all my uh, my discs in my neck are bulging. I have two entrapments in my neck, and one entrapment in my back. Um, I've been to about nine doctors. They sent me to for the car accident, and uh, every one of them said there's too much damage to even think about an operation. Huh. So I did therapy twice. Now they cut me off therapy. Therapy was starting to help. They said, no, you maxed out your therapy. I don't know what to do now. The okay. pain is so bad that there's days I don't want to be here no more. Right. Do you have um, a lawyer uh, that's yes. dealing with this? Yeah. So, I mean, it, it is unfortunate because the way, um, you know, the, the, the accident benefit world works in Ontario um, is something called the minor injury guideline. And uh, if they deem... A person's injury to be in the minor injury well then there's a cap on how much money will be spent on therapy and then uh, you know if, if you're deemed outside of that minor injury there's a larger amount of money dictated for that treatment that doesn't mean that you can't appeal those things and and I and that has to be uh, a combination of effort between whoever the legal representation is and the treating professionals to, to make the case that you know, this person does need more therapy based on the injuries that they sustained. The the harder thing always to prove in these types of cases, Leo, is those disc herniations that you have in your neck, it's it's oftentimes very hard to prove are they the result of the car accident. Uh, because in likelihood, you probably, if you never had neck complaints, you would have had no previous MRIs or anything like that to compare it to. And, you know, what I can tell you is when you look at the research, a lot of people have disc herniations that are asymptomatic. And, and the insurance companies know this, which is why they will argue, uh, you know, try to argue against that type of stuff. So it does have to be... Um, Again, an effort between the legal representation and the treating professionals uh, to put to continue putting in treatment plans 
uh, you know, for the, the services that seem to be helping for you and seeing if the insurance company will approve them. Now, the insurance company will then likely send you to an independent assessment uh, from someone that they've hired to deem if these recommendations follow suit with what they're seeing. And so uh, the process can be, uh, you know, pretty, pretty lengthy. So but in, in the absence of that, I mean, you always have the option uh, to pay for your own treatments, or sometimes what lawyers will do is they'll protect the file where they let a clinic uh, do the treatment, but they know that you have a strong case and they protect the file. So those are some of the other options that you may uh, want to discuss with your legal team. Okay, because see, I, I unfortunately I had an operation on my lower back in 2004. That's creating some problems. Mm-hmm. But I had I had MRIs on my neck and my back. Before this operation, before this accident, and there was no problem in my neck before. So I did the neck. Mm-hmm. They know it is caused by the accident. Well, the, the then those those. Problem. So yeah, and and if you have something like that, that does support your case that yes, this accident caused these things because they weren't there before. So th- that's very good, strong evidence. Which again, in my experience with the lawyers that I've dealt with on accidents like this, if the, if the lawyers believe that there's a strong case, and even in the absence of the insurer wanting to pay for more treatment, they'll often protect the file uh, and keep getting treatment uh, just because they feel that, you know, number one, they want to help get you better, and number two, they want to help build your case uh, against the uh, uh, the insurance company. It's, it's just ridiculous, though. I mean, uh Every time I, I turn around, I even had my doctor give them a note saying, this man needs therapy very badly. I can barely move my neck. In the, and the migraines are so bad that I'm in my house in a dark room almost five days out of seven mm-hmm. in a room all day, dark room. Right, yeah. No, I understand. I, it's, you know, unfortunately, I've had a lot of patients like that that uh, are involved in motor vehicle accidents or slip and falls or... Uh, workplace injuries and you know anytime you're working with a third-party payer like that that you know it becomes an issue when it comes down to payment and things like that and how much treatment they should be paying for Um, which I again it it does I think hinder the overall objective uh, which is just simply to get better when you have to worry about all those other things but you know, again, it's a complicated case, and you, if you have a legal team, you have a place where you're getting therapy. They need to kind of work together to, to, you know, go get, to build a case for the insurance company to justify you getting more treatment. Well, they're trying. Trust me, my my lawyers have been fighting, and they've been turning the lawyers down left and right too. Yeah, good. that's good, and and that's really all that you can do. But in the meantime, like I said, you do always have the option of paying for treatment if you have to, if you really need it. So. Um, yeah. Appreciate the call, Leo, for you as well. 416-870-6400, star 640 on sale. We'd love to hear from you over the next half hour of the Dr. Payne Show Talk Radio, AM 640. William, good afternoon. Hello, sir. I I, I don't know if I'm quite qualified for all of this, but perhaps... <laughs> I'm sure you are. Interesting conversation. Sure. I'd like to know the difference between mental illness and uh, post-concussion syndrome um, and... Um, if psychiatrists know these things. Yeah, they would know these things. So when you look at mental illness, mental illness is is more of a psychological problem that's related to thought patterns and and behavioral things, whereas a head injury like a concussion is when there's actual movement of the brain within the skull. And so there's something called coop counter coop where the, the brain actually 
hits uh, different parts of the uh, of the skull on the inside, and so it's that um, I guess you could call it bruising that leads to those types of head injuries. So they're two very very different things. One is very much a physical type of trauma to the brain, and the other one is is not necessarily a physical trauma, but uh, more of a you know behavioral, psychological, psychosocial. Uh, you know, trauma, I guess, maybe is, is a good word for that, too. But two very uh, distinct things and, and treated in two very, very different ways. Okay. Now, um, um, so the, the, when the brain can, can go back into position, because I was a victim of an assault, and I've got a whole diagnosis from the, the hospital of what happens and what does not happen. And uh, it's been about a year now, and I've been to a neuro surgeon, neuro, neurologist, and he says, it's all gone. And I agree, it's all gone. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, uh, it, it took a year to to go away, and now everything has moved back into place and just some skeletal injuries, and then they're improving as well. Is that correct? Yeah, so when you look at the actual movement of the skull within, or sorry, the brain within the skull, it happens very quickly. It goes back to its quote-unquote normal position almost instantaneously. But that doesn't mean that there's no effect to the areas that were contacted. And so, you know, the other thing about concussion is... It's, it's not really something that's actually picked up on imaging. There's nothing that you actually see. It's more a constellation of symptoms that a person will present with. And, um, you know, if those symptoms improve and go fully away, then you can say that the person's concussion is gone. But if the symptoms still persist, well, then the concussive syndrome, uh, is, it could be ongoing. So if you, if, if the, if the symptoms that you were having following your assault are now gone, then that sounds like your your concussion has resolved. Okay, and uh, after concussion goes away, uh, you're you're back to normal because you know Sidney Sidney Crosby, uh, Pittsburgh Penguins, Penguins, he's had five concussions, right? And uh, he's well paid, and they're not going to put him back on the ice unless he's one hundred percent. So the, these things really do go away, right? Uh, they do go away, but that so like anything in the body, once you sustain an injury, whatever that injury is, you are now more likely to re-experience that injury compared to someone who's never experienced it. And that's the exact reason why you said Sidney Crosby has had five, because yeah. every time he sustains a new concussion, he's now more likely to keep sustaining concussions. Okay. Um, so that's the same with thing with you. Are you you are now likely if you have a head injury to sustain another concussion? The, the whole hope is that you know you're not going to have any more head injuries, and so in the absence of any more trauma, then you should be fine. Yeah, for sure. Now I, I'd like to put this across to you because this will be helpful to other people too, not just to me. Yep. Um, um, uh, I was diagnosed uh, with mental illness by. I, I, I just tell you this. I spent 60 days in prison for sending emailing Bible scriptures to a police officer, uh, which is plain stupidity, but that's what happened. And uh, the uh, uh, the nurse there said uh, I had mental illness, but it was not. It's post concussion syndrome. And I, I did some research, and Professor Arfield um, from uh, London, uh, from Western. University in London says so the mental illness test for Ontario is 
is, is literally useless. Mm. And, you know, I look back at the questions they asked, and I was assessed wrongfully and put through a lot of garbage for nothing. And I, I don't know what I can do about that. Probably nothing. I'm very happy that I'm healthy again. But I just thought I'd put that across. Maybe it's helpful for other people. And uh, one more comment. I, I find it very convenient that uh, uh, in, in the... Uh, Definition of uh, of psychotic. If you think you're being followed by people, um, uh, you're automatically psychotic without anyone doing any investigation uh, on the issue. And you know you have to investigate these things. You just can't sit there and uh, judge from a convenient. Yeah, and so text. sorry to interrupt, William, for sure. And and I think you know this is bordering on to, you know, something different than what this show's uh, supposed to be. But I appreciate what you're saying. And, uh, you, you know, maybe you putting it out there does help other listeners. So uh, thank you for your call. And I think of the correlation of what he's saying between mental illness and physical concussion. I think Chris ben- Benoit, and there's some evidence of that back in the WWE. Oh, for sure. Yeah, and for sure. Double and I mean, even when you look at like and everything, yeah. 100%. And when you look at like something like his scenario where there's an assault, that can lead to a psychological behavior right. issue because now you may be afraid. So, yeah, it's I mean, when you're dealing with the brain, we understand so, so very little about the, the brain and how everything works that, you know, we're just giving it our best guess right now with where we are in the healthcare world and does that mean that in 100 years or 20 years that everything will stay consistent and the same things we believe today will be uh, beliefs then no things always change and as our technology as our knowledge gets better we'll understand more and more uh, about the way um, you know if there is potentially a link between mental illness and and physical trauma to the brain which again your point of you know Chris Benoit and, and the chronic traumatic encephalopathy that they're finding in you know football players and things like that you know, there there might very well be a, a strong link, and and you know we'll we'll find more out as knowledge time improves. Goes on. Knowledge I'll, improves. I don't see a right. lot of bloodletting in your clinic anymore. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly. 1600s. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get to more of the show. Your phone calls as well. Four one six eight seven zero sixty four hundred star six forty on cell. Doctor Payne Show Talk Radio AM six forty. Good afternoon. How are you? I don't see a name. What, uh, who is this? Hello there. Hello. Hi. Hi. Uh, good uh, good afternoon. Hi. I didn't catch oh, your name. What's your name, sir? Albert, Alberto. Alberto. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. What's going on with you? Yeah, just regarding, uh, I do. I work outdoors. Mm-hmm. I'm, uh, you know, uh, trimming trees, the bushes, stuff like that. Cool. And I get a lot of thorns in my skin, and uh, it's just too painful to take out the thorn. And uh, you know, it, several days, it's uh, it's painful. But you know, once in a while, there's still pain. I had the technique shot every ten years. Is it bad to leave? thorns or any type of uh, in the skin, especially on the fingers, you know? Uh, Again, it's not really my specialty, but, you know, just as an, you know, from a professional opinion, yeah, I would probably assume that anything that's not supposed to be there is probably not a good thing to be kept there for sure, yeah. Uh, Oh, I see. Do they they have non-protective gloves that are suitable for what you do? Yeah, no, uh, sometimes, you know, the thorns go right to the gloves. Wow. Wow. And uh, it, you know, the tip of the thorn stays in the skin. Ah, it's, painful, it's very man. painful to yeah. take out with the, Usually, I take it out with a needle. You know. Yeah. But it's very, sometimes it just goes right, like right into this, into the, right deep, and I just don't take it out. But yeah. you know, because of the, I have the tetanus shots, I always think, okay, I'm, I'm protected, right? Well, tetanus protect, protects you against potentially getting infected by tetanus. It doesn't 
protect you from having things in your from pain right so there's two different things there are you are you prevented from potentially getting tetanus yes uh but are you protected isn't, from isn't a tetanus shot due to anything that causes infection isn't that why you're taking tetanus shots it's specific to the actual tetanus bacteria so that that creates a a different constellation of symptoms that can eventually lead to your neurological system seizing up so it's not it's not it doesn't protect you against every infection you can still get other infections it will just protect you against uh being infected with tetanus oh i see yeah so so that's Two very different things for sure, but you know, from a from an occupational standpoint, uh, um, you know, maybe talk to the employer about if there's something better suited that you can be wearing that can uh, protect you. But yeah, anything that's in the body that shouldn't be there is probably for a prolonged length of time. Yeah, it's probably yeah. not supposed to be there. Four one six eight seven zero sixty four hundred star six forty for you to call. And want to mention something that we went back to with one of the callers a couple segments ago, and that was the uh, the reference by said doctor about a room full of useless modalities. Oh yeah. I'm not a big fan of that comment. No, How's I mean the God complex. Yeah, and you know what that it's unfortunate that people sit out there and and you're right, the God complex for sure there's certain um healthcare professionals that and and again, this is not everybody, but certain people out there I, from from a patient perspective, I would always be very very concerned of someone who believes themselves to be the be all end all, and right. everything else is absolutely useless. Because I mean, it's 2017. We know that it all needs to be multifactorial, multifaceted. People need to work as a team to achieve the best results. And and a comment like that is just at the end of the day, extremely ignorant. Right. Yeah. Maybe, maybe if he's talking about a specific place that he knows that isn't very good, I might understand the comment. But if that's just a general uh, opinion about all places where therapy is done, that it's just a room full of useless modalities. I mean, that's you can't the only way the only thing you can say about that, that's just absolute ignorance and and you know should speak uh volumes about that that type of person and i if i was a patient i would definitely uh be hesitant to be taking too much advice from that person and and you know and you look at the track record that patient's 12 months in and still no yeah i mean we'll let yeah exactly let the the facts speak for themselves if everything else is useless well he wasn't much better (laughs) (laughs) for 12, 12 months is a long time so uh you know, and again, does that mean, you know, you have to look at everybody and you have to determine there are some things that are going to be more beneficial than certain tools uh, and just make the right recommendations. And again, I do truly believe that the best outcomes and the research supports this, that the best outcomes for most pain uh, syndromes is a multifaceted approach where you're having several different people work on it just because, again, there's so many ways to intervene and you're tackling it from every angle. So, uh, yeah, you know, and it's just ignorance it's it's unfortunately yeah. the reality of a of people out there and there's good doctors there's bad doctors the same as there's good mechanics and bad mechanics and you know uh anybody that's hearing things like that that's why i suggested to that person get a second opinion right yeah. those those are the times where you may want to go back to your family doctor and say you know can you send me to another specialist that i can talk to cuz I wasn't so sure about this comment yeah. that was made. You're well in your rights to do so. Yeah, for yeah. sure. When we talk about we've had some emails. I know Joni mentioned something earlier today about mouth pain. It's a topic we really haven't we haven't tackled yet, right? Yes, but I mean, when you look at the jaw, and I guess most people, anytime that there's pain in the mouth, they're just simply going to their dentist, and uh, right. uh, and they're using that person as the gatekeeper, which is good. That's that's the right way to do it. Um, 
Sometimes, though, we have to take into consideration that jaw pain and TMJ issues can just simply arise from a musculoskeletal perspective, which means that you have muscles and joints in that place the same as you do in your low back. And those things can sometimes get aggravated and need therapy to get them better. Another thing is that jaw pain is very closely related to the mechanics of the neck, of the cervical spine. So it's not uncommon to meet people who have uh, an underlying cervical spine issue that's translating into some type of jaw pain. Uh, and, you know, most good dentists out there will be able to recognize if it is musculoskeletal and they'll recommend to go get it treated uh, from a musculoskeletal perspective. Uh, but yeah, jaw pain is something that is very, very prevalent, but you don't need to go um, see your dentist for that. If you believe, if you have jaw pain and you believe it's, it might be more muscular, uh, you know, a chiropractor, a physiotherapist, uh, a massage therapist, those are all people that could potentially assess that and determine, is there a musculoskeletal component? And here's potentially what could be done uh, to help that issue. But I can't stress enough about um, the relation of the jaw to the cervical spine and how the impact of poor posture and an anterior wow. head carriage can really create a lot of jaw issues and tense those muscles. So uh, anybody with jaw issues or they've been told they have a TMJ syndrome, uh, I believe should also be getting their neck looked at because, um, you know, it's it's just so intimately connected that there there's often some type of a, of a correlation between the two. And in that regard, if you have questions about that stuff or any other, we're, uh, we're here to take them for the next 10 minutes or so. 416-870-6400, star 640 on sale. It's info at paincarecanada.com. And simply Dr. Payne online. Check it out. More of the show coming up. Talk Radio AM 640. Yeah, and if you've sent an email and uh, resend it, we get a lot here, or at least uh, Dr. Lou gets a lot. We'll answer info at paincarecanada.com through email. Got to, uh, how's my eyes? I need an eye checkup. Uh, Barry, how are you? Hi, hi, good. Bet your eyes are better than mine. What's going on, Barry? <laughs> uh, I just, uh, well, 10 weeks ago, I had my knee done, scoped. Yep. Uh, for the second time, the first time was about 25 years ago, but I slipped and fell and uh, re-injured it. So I got the MRI and they said I had a small tear in my uh, ACL and then um, the cartilage was all bunged up again. So I went in and got the scoped and surgery and they cleaned it all out. And when they were in there, they noticed uh, the meniscus had a big tear in it. And uh, now, after that was about ten, ten weeks ago, say roughly, and now I I got more movement, but I still can't walk up and down stairs. I still can't bend my knee properly. Okay, so I just, it feels like it's locked. Have you done any? Th- have Have they sent you to do therapy after the surgery? Mm, well, the therapy they wanted to send me to cost money, and I don't have the coverage for it, so I was. Yeah. He had a like a, a sheet on exercises to do and stuff like that, but mm-hmm. he told me to stop doing them for a while. Right. Yeah. And and, and you know that's and, the and just keep walking. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'll be very honest. You do need some therapy following surgeries because there's the right things to be doing. Um, yeah. There are certain OHIP programs that you can qualify for. Uh, sometimes it, it depends on who did the surgeon, where you live, the access to that type of care. Uh, but you know. I see this all too often that people who do surgery and don't do therapy after the outcomes are never going to be the same. You do need to to be doing the right type of physical stuff. Um, yeah. It's it's fine if somebody gives you a sheet of paper as long as you are doing the right things day to day. That's also 
uh, equally fine. But most in my in my experience, most of the time, people don't know how to do these things properly. So it may be worthwhile to, at the very least, spend money one time uh, yeah. to get someone to show you the right things to do, and then from that point, hopefully, you can take it on from there. Because in the absence right. of doing those right things, you may unfortunately. Uh, uh, not get the the outcomes that you desire or that should happen after that type of surgery. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. No, I- Sorry, Barry. We had to cut you off there. We're just getting on the last uh, few minutes here. So, yeah, there you go. What did that? I didn't know there was OHIP programs you could apply for in that regard. Because a lot of people, three people have called today, say they they can't afford the therapy. Yeah, no, it, for post-surgical stuff, depending, again, where you are, the access to care, these things do change. Uh, there are some OHIP-funded things. They're, you know, whether they're good or they're not good, that's mm-hmm. a different conversation. Right. But there are some ways. And, again, it's it, the access is not as uh, widespread as I'd like for it to be. Got uh, David. Probably a last call of the day. David, you got a couple minutes. What's going on? Okay, um, it started out over the years. I, I drive for a living. I get uh, what we call like only oh, Charlie horse, like a muscle cramping uh, under the right knee. Um, but I, I've been able to seem to almost lick it by using mineral water. But recently, I had a I had a fall off my truck, and as soon as I fell, one of the things was my right leg. I felt like almost like a, a like a, locked up. And uh, ever since, I've been trying to stretch it, and it's just lingering. It's just like a, a crampness that just doesn't want to leave. Okay. Have you had it taken a look at? Well, um, yeah, I'm I'm currently on what we call a doctor's orders to go on what we call like light duty. So mm-hmm. I'm still driving, but I'm waiting for my physiotherapy um, appointment. So mm-hmm. I'm just basically stretching it and and Advil, and that's that's where I'm at. It's just just lingering right now. Yeah, I mean, again, you'd have to have it looked at properly. If you're waiting on that physiotherapy appointment, they'll be able to take a better look at it for sure and and try to determine what's going on. But uh, in all likelihood, if again, if it's a physical problem, you'll likely need some type of a physical intervention. Uh, And there's so many different things that it could be in that area that, you know, I don't even want to start guessing uh, what it could be. But, you know, the biggest things when you have an injury before you you know, have a professional look at it from a management standpoint. If it, if anything that you're doing hurts, you need to avoid that thing that you're doing. That's, yeah. that's number one. Um, and then from there, the next step again is, is try to get in to see somebody uh, as soon as possible. Cause the longer you leave these things, the more they can become uh, chronic issues. And as they become chronic, they're harder to treat. So uh, that's, that's really the best thing to do. But as a general rule uh, for people who have sustained something and, before you can get in to see somebody for whatever reason, if it hurts, stop. And it's incredible how many people have hurt themselves somehow and still do the things that bother them. But, you know, that is the first best thing that you could do is just eliminate that aggravating source. So at the very least, you're not making it worse. Good for another week, uh, brother. Parting ways you want to uh, get a hold of Dr. Lou, no problem. one 855 Dr. Lou, D-R-L-O-U. The email is info at paincarecanada.com. Get that free assessment. Having start on the road to getting better. Getting pain-free, the Dr. Pain Show. Till next weekend, talk radio, AM 640.